this is Ann Wist back with episode two of the podcast One More Chapter. I hope you enjoyed my first episode and I know for a fact we're going to have so much fun with this episode. Uh, today we are talking about one of my favorite fictional books that I've ever read. It's called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. It's a mystery book and if you saw any of my posts leading up to this episode, I'm sure you <laughs> could have uh, figured that out a little bit. So, a summary of this book would be Hannah finds out one day that her husband Owen has run away after the company he works for has been indicted for various white collar crimes, leaving her alone with her teenage stepdaughter Bailey, who dislikes her. I'm not going to read the summary any farther because I don't want to spoil anything, but that's the gist of the book. My opinion of this book is that I loved the way that it was written. I loved the way that it was laid out. I loved that it was a quick read and I loved that it was a little bit different from the general mystery of murder mystery because it's not a murder mystery and I really enjoyed that about it. So like my previous episode, I will read a poor review and a good review. I have two this time for each. So I'll start with the poor reviews. The first review says, Hannah's characterization made no sense. She starts off as this flighty, artsy, successful woodmaker who daintily loses her parking ticket on her first date with Owen. Hannah's characterization made no sense. She starts off as this flighty, artsy, successful woodmaker who daintily loses her parking ticket on her first date with Owen. Then she, mind you, with no progression, grows into super mom and detective of the year. She also seemed to drop her career along the way. Lots of random side plots and characters with unanswered questions. I have to agree, but also disagree with this view. I agree in that it was very out of nowhere that suddenly she knows how to do all this investigative work. Where I disagree is that's not what stood out to me when I first read this book. It wasn't enough for me to give it a bad review. The second review I'll read says... Not a thriller, but a slow-paced mystery with far too many words. Very wordy. I found the characters bland and the plot dull. I kept reading, hoping for more to happen. Not the book for me. I can understand that. This isn't meant to be a thriller, I don't think, based off my reading of it. And also, I would say that the characters are normal people. That's where I would say maybe why this person said they were bland, but to each their own. Now to get into the good reviews. This first review says, I couldn't put this down. The author skillfully creates a real feeling of authenticity. The writing isn't flashy or over the top. It's just darn good storytelling I engaged with immediately. This is great. I feel I very much engaged with this book as well. I felt 
it flowed nicely, it flowed normally, it didn't feel choppy, and it did tell a very good simple mystery story. The last review, which is the second good review, says, The suspense is palpable, the mystery deep and compelling. The plot is tight, the pacing so pitch perfect it was impossible to put this book down. In my opinion, when I first started reading it, I have to agree with this. I could not put it down. I remember not wanting to put it down. I was so intrigued into this book. It was very entertaining for me. First, before I go through this, let's set a basis for the genre I'm discussing today. So I got a few books that discuss mystery to help me better explain this book. The first book I will pull from is called Adventure, Mystery, and Romance by John G. Kowalty. I will reference two sections in this book. The first section I will reference is Patterns of the formula in chapter 4, which is titled The Formula of the Classical Detective Story. So there are a few parts to the formula of classical detective story. The first one is situation. The first part of this formula is a situation. This book says that it begins with an unsolved crime. That is how you start every mystery, and in this book, the unsolved it's not really a crime, but the mystery is where did Owen go and why did he leave? The second thing is a pattern of action. This is when the detectives investigate and try to find answers to the crime. In this book, it would weirdly be Hannah and Bailey, mainly Hannah. But there's also a U.S. Marshal who is involved in finding answers by the name of Grady. The last thing in this book that it says is the characters and relationships. The classical detective story this book reads must have four main roles. The victim, the criminal, the detective, and those threatened by the crime but incapable of solving it. In the story, the victims would be Hannah and Bailey. They are victims of Owen leaving and not knowing why. In this story, the criminal, I'm afraid if I say who the criminal technically is, it would give some spoilers, so I'm actually not going to address that. And the detective, I would also have to say that it's Hannah and Bailey, but it's also the U.S. Marshal. It's Hannah and Bailey in the way that even though they're not qualified detectives, they are doing what they can to try to find the truth and try to find answers about Owen. The next book I'll reference is The Art of the Mystery Story. In this book, I will read sections of a chapter named 20 Rules for Writing Detective Stories. For the sake of time and application to this book, I will only read the first two points of the 20 because the rest 
point more towards a murder mystery, and this book is not a murder mystery. So we'll focus on the first two points today. The first one is the reader must have equal opportunity with the detective for solving the mystery. All clues must be plainly stated and described. This book does a great job at doing that. It explains what Hannah has found in her searching of where Owen went and why he left. The clues progressively get more and more deep and more and more intense as the book progresses, which I personally believe should happen in a good mystery. The second thing is, no willful tricks or deceptions may be placed on the reader other than those played legitimately by the criminal on the detective himself. We as the readers cannot receive anything the detective hasn't already received. A, that wouldn't make a lot of sense if you think about it, especially if it's from a first person point of view like this book is, but also that doesn't even feel very logical to have that disconnect. So this book does not play any tricks on the reader that the detectives in this book haven't already had come at them. This book doesn't throw anything that the U.S. Marshal Grady has already known or anything that Hannah or Bailey hasn't already known or figured out. Now I'm going to discuss conflict. The conflict in this book is between Hannah and herself. After receiving a note at her door from a girl that says protect her, she has all kinds of questions. She doesn't know where he went. She knows he left willingly because he gave the note to the little girl to give to Hannah before leaving. But she doesn't know why he left, why he left his daughter where he went. She's just very confused as to everything that's going on. In a way, I can imagine that she feels like she doesn't know him. That she married someone and then he runs away with leaving his daughter, whom he showed every ounce of love for before leaving, and not giving an explanation. So I can only imagine the confusion and even heartbreak that she's experiencing as soon as she realizes that he's missing, as soon as the note is given to her. Throughout the book, we see how Hannah and Bailey's relationship is strengthened through this trial. On Hannah's end, it is, okay, my husband unexpectedly and without explanation ran away. I need to take care of his daughter. A, because he left a note saying protect her, and B, because that's just what she knows she needs to do as the parent. And so as they go through this throughout the book, in a way they set their issues aside, but in another way, indirectly, they become closer, even though they're not sitting down and addressing their issues directly, as I mentioned, 
there is an aspect of we are all we have and there are points in the book where they don't feel they can trust anyone else outside of each other. So by the end of the book, of course with the every book has a resolution at the end, they have this bond because they went through that together. To finish, I'll explain this book from a biblical perspective. From a biblical perspective, this book demonstrates how trials bring you closer to those around you, but first and foremost, for a believer, it brings you closer to the Lord. Obviously, that second aspect is not directly portrayed in this book, but it is still something that I would like to discuss and like you guys to think about as you read through it. When we go through a trial, the Lord is bringing us closer to himself and sanctifying us through it. And he also gives us blessings of deepening all of our horizontal relationships on earth through those trials. I think the second one is very clearly depicted by the author through this book because of their relationship growing stronger the farther you get into the book. I have to say that also is the overall theme of the importance of family and the importance of growing closer in a trial rather than pushing each other away because trials are when you need your loved ones around you the most to support you and to pray for you and to love you and to encourage you. That pretty much sums up this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I know I enjoyed talking about it. I love this book. I personally love what we've learned from this book through the plot of this book and through what we've learned from the reference books that I read from tonight. I really hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. I really hope you are excited to read it now and find out what happens in the rest of the book. I hope you have a wonderful rainy day reading and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Bye.